is going on everybody welcome back to another episode of the critics corner podcast yankee off-season podcast edition i don't know what to call it usually it was the weekly recap but haven't spoken about the yankees haven't come on here and done a podcast about the yankees since the day after the wildcard game which was all the way back on october 6th um, obviously that was a very uh, disappointing podcast but you know quite a few things have happened since then obviously we have a new world series champion in the atlanta braves so congratulations to them i don't really think anybody you know heading into the season mid-season even heading into the playoffs would have predicted the Braves to one to win, but they got hot at the right time, beat a lot of good teams. Um, I was honestly kind of surprised they beat Houston in in the World Series, but obviously, pretty much everyone in America, except for people that live in Houston, were happy about that one. Um, so yeah, shout out to the Braves. Can't really say I dislike anything about them. Um, always been a pretty good franchise, um, and you know they got it done. No one ex- really expected them to do so, and they did. So shout out to the Braves. Um, it, it was a decently fun playoff, uh, you know, playoff uh, season. Obviously, you know, happy that the Red Sox lost. Uh, I was getting a little nervous there at some points. Kind of thought they might have got, just gotten hot at the right time and made a run all the way to, to the World Series. You know, I was pretty surprised they beat the Rays pretty handedly. Um, they they kind of exposed the Rays a little bit there in that American League Division Series, to be honest. But Houston took care of them you know Boston went up 2-1 in that series and it it was really feeling like they were just everything was clicking at the right time and they were going to head to the World Series Um, but Houston came back and won game four games four five and six so um, that was definitely a a bit of a relief and then yeah the Braves took the World Series and that was kind of that gotta say I didn't watch a ton of the playoffs this year since the Yankees were out just wasn't into it as much um you know, with football going on and the NBA kind of get going, getting going, um, both, you know, college football and NFL football. I was just, eh, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't into it. I didn't really have that strong of a rooting interest in the playoffs this year. I was really disappointed that the Yankees weren't playing in it. So um, didn't watch a ton of postseason baseball, but nonetheless, happy the Braves won. Shout out to the Braves and their fans. Jorge Soler absolutely just raked in the World Series. And Freddie Freeman, Actually struggled in the World Series, but he finally got his ring in Atlanta. So happy for him, and he's actually a free agent that the Yankees are rumored to try to go after. But obviously, it's going to take quite a lot to lure him away from Atlanta, especially after they just won that World Series. He is an absolute legend in in Atlanta. Oh, and also one thing, I don't know if any of you saw the World Series parade in Atlanta. How fast the bus was driving. Um, it was literally going like had to be 25, 30 miles an hour down, down the streets of Atlanta. And it, it was so strange because, you know, normally, obviously these parades, you know, the bus is going super slow so the fans can whatever, get a look at the players and they're all drinking and celebrating whatever it may be interacting with the crowd. But like this bus was literally flying through the streets, had to be the shortest parade ever. I guess Atlanta just wasn't too familiar with, you know, championship parades they hadn't had one in forever i think the last atlanta team to win a title was like the braves in the 90s i think because the hawks haven't won in my lifetime the falcons haven't won i don't know if they've ever won a super bowl i'm not so not too sure about that but yeah it'd been a minute since atlanta had experienced a championship and like honestly shout out to them because that's a bit of a cursed uh it was a cursed sports city you know with the 28 to 3 against the patriots the hawks never really being worth anything and then the Braves, um, since the 90s, always coming up short. So they finally got – oh, and also, you know, never forget Georgia football. Um, they're a bit, bit of a cursed uh, team as well. But they are the best team in the country right now, I think, by far. And they're looking like they're going to walk to the playoffs and could potentially win. I mean, they're the best team in the country right now. I don't think that's much of a debate. Um, but can they, you know, come through when it matters the most – in the playoff, I don't really even think it matters if they lose the SEC championship game against Alabama. They'll probably still be in the playoff. Um, but I think they should beat Alabama, and then, you know, let's see what happens in the playoff. They'll probably end up playing Ohio State either in the first round, the semifinals, or the championship, and that would be quite the matchup. That Ohio State defense against – or that Ohio State offense against that Georgia defense would be a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, would 
be pulling hard for the Georgia Bulldogs in that one. But nonetheless, shout out to Atlanta for winning a World Series, finally breaking that curse. Let's talk some Yankees baseball. It's been a minute. It's been over a month and a half. So, you know, there's been a decent amount of stuff that's happened. Um, I'll just kind of go through chronologically. I have written down basically everything that's happened. Um, And, you know, it's been there's been a few moves that the Yankees have made um, and then just a lot of rumors as you know as you know the rumor mill starts going heavily uh, this time of year as we head into free agency and the winter meetings in a few weeks I think they're like just start December 6th um, which you know we'll, we'll talk about if those will even happen with the impending lockout I'll hit on that at the end of the podcast but I think the really the biggest news the biggest transaction the Yankees have made since the ending, since the end of the season was re-signing Aaron Boone on December or December on October nineteenth, the Yankees re-signed Aaron Boone to a three-year deal with a club option for twenty twenty-five. And you know, my initial reaction was obviously anger and frustration. Like, what has Aaron Boone done over the past three years to make this team better? Like I said, I think I mentioned on the last podcast. He inherited a roster in following the 2017 season that was within a game of the World Series, and the Yankees had gotten consistently worse since then. You know, not even reaching an American League Championship Series, they won the division in 2018, came up short against the Red Sox in the division series. 2019, um, no, actually, they did make the ALCS in 2019. I kid, I'm kidding. They uh, they beat the Twins in the ALDS and then lost to the Astros again, this time in six games. Um, so technically not as close as they were in 2017. And then 2020, lost to the Rays in the American League Division Series. And then this year, lost in the wildcard game to the Red Sox after an extremely frustrating up-and-down season where it, at, at one point in the middle of July, it didn't even look like the Yankees were going to make the playoffs. So, So the point is... And I said it in the last podcast, like the team hasn't gotten better under Aaron Boone. So why are we, you know, bringing him back for three years and then, you know, a club option for 2025. So basically the Yankees will evaluate his performance after that three-year contract and determine whether or not he's, you know, good enough to return for a fourth season. And, you know, obviously, like I said, my initial reaction was disappointment for all of the reasons that I just said, but. It, you know, the more I thought about it, it's like how much of the decisions is Aaron Boone or was Aaron Boone actually making over the past three years? Um, like I said, I know I've ripped him a lot in the past and deservedly so, but I don't know. He just kind of feels like a puppet for the front office. And, you know, I think we're seeing a lot more of this in baseball where, you know, it just feels like the front office and the analytical department is making so many more of these in-game decisions than they really should be we're seeing this across baseball you know a couple examples that spring to mind is the cardinals firing their manager mike uh what's his name mike schilt following the season which was a very surprising move considering he got them into the playoffs well the players got him into the playoffs into that wild card game they got hot really hot at the end of the season um, and got into the playoffs. If you consider the wild card game the playoffs, I don't really consider that. But they they still fired him, and he had been a really good manager for them. But apparently there was just a quote like difference in their strategy, their outlook on the game between the front office, whoever makes the the big decisions, and the manager himself. So that basically translates to he was kind of making too many of the decisions, maybe. Uh, maybe becoming too powerful within the organization you could say and the cardinals got rid of him and uh you know another thing that comes to mind like just the rays you know they're obviously the franchises franchise that uses analytics the the most and you know they kind of have to with how low their payroll is and being such a small market but i don't know i'm sure you all remember in 20 in the 2020 world series when kevin cash took out blake snell in game seven of the world series against the dodgers maybe game six or game seven the deciding game for the rays an elimination game after he had basically thrown the ball lights out not given up any 
uh, runs at all. And then the, it was a very questionable call to take him out of the game. I personally do not think Kevin Cash had anything to do with that decision. I think that came straight from the front office, from the analytical department, telling him, hey, the numbers say we need to take him out here. I don't, e- like, I don't even know if that was Kevin Cash's decision because I, I don't think there's any debating that Kevin Cash is a great manager, probably the, the best manager in the American League right now. But I don't know like if that was his decision or I don't know how many decisions he makes throughout the course of the year. You know How much of it is the front office versus him? I think Aaron Boone, it's the exact same thing with the Yankees. The Yankees wanted to re-sign this guy because he is a, a total puppet, a total yes man for the Yankees uh, front office. He'll do whatever they say. You know, um, he just doesn't seem like the guy that's going to stand up to what the front office has to tell him to do. I don't even think he sets the lineups every day. I think that's the straight from the analytical department. I don't know how much of a say he has in in-game decisions. So it's really hard to say nowadays, like how, who's a good manager and who's making the right decisions because I don't, we don't even know how many decisions they're making. Um, so it, it was frustrating when I when I heard it, but I honestly think it's more frustrating the state of the Yankees' front office and how they are making all the decisions and not letting the manager kind of manage on his own. Now, this is all speculation. I could be totally wrong on this, but that's just the vibe I get and the feel I get, especially because Joe Girardi was such a player's manager and, and clearly was not a super analytical guy, and he probably didn't listen to everything the Yankees' front office had to say, and that's probably part of the reason the Yankees didn't re-sign him following that outstanding 2017 season where there weren't really high expectations heading into the year and they made it all the way to within one game of the world series i mean what organization doesn't re-sign a guy like that i think it's because he wasn't he was not listening to the front office as much they wanted to get a guy in like aaron boone who's gonna say yes to everything they put in front of him so i I don't even know if i can be mad about this right now i think one thing is for sure it doesn't feel like aaron boone is a big leader in the clubhouse it doesn't feel like guys are willing to rally around him now again that's total speculation i'm obviously not there in the clubhouse every day with the players and the manager but as a fan that's just the vibe i get like the one thing that really pissed me off throughout the season is he never held glaber torres accountable for his errors his lack of hustle his poor play in general i mean he just kept running him out there every game now was that an Aaron Boone decision or was that a front office decision i don't know but we saw how his production skyrocketed when they finally moved him away from shortstop to second base his numbers got way better was that an Aaron Boone decision or was that a front office decision i don't freaking know so i don't know how to feel about Aaron Boone coming back for a three another three years do i am i more mad at Boone or the front office don't know so, you know, those are kind of my Aaron Boone thoughts. Um, but nonetheless, we got another three years of him. Uh, on the 20th of October, ESPN's Buster only reported that the expectation is that the Yankees will land a shortstop, and that is likely to be one of the top, top free agents, two of the best free agent or two of the best shortstops in the game, and Corey Seager or Carlos Correa. That kind of got the rumor mill going, um, as, as is the custom in the MLB offseason. Um, how do I feel about this now? Now knowing what Carlos Correa had to say about Derek Jeter, and you know Carlos Correa has always been a controversial figure um, ever since the 2017 or the the cheating scandal that the, the Astros had, and kind of his beef with, I mean, even the Yankees. You know, um, do we want a guy like that, um, a flashy guy, a guy that's not afraid to talk trash, whatever? And then he came out and said what he said about Derek Jeter basically saying he didn't earn or didn't deserve any of those four gold clubs that Derek Jeter won. Um, and then, you know, basically Jeter came out and said like, did had a nothing quote where he's like, I don't have to say anything about this. I mean, he could have put Carlos Correa in a body bag. He, He decided not to. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, people love to hate on Derek Jeter for like no apparent reason. Like he had, he's been retired for like damn near five ten years now and people still love talking about this guy not not 10 years five years now um like he lives rent free in so many baseball people's head like dude's retired he hasn't played in forever why are we still talking about him people just love bringing Derek jeter up and love kind of slandering him lately like lessening his career the analytical guys might not like him as much but who freaking cares dude was probably the most successful shortstop 
in baseball history. He won, what, four or five championships in New York, the toughest market to play in. We've seen so many players struggle to handle the New York market. Derek Jeter totally owned it and, you know, was totally comfortable being the face of the Yankees franchise, taking the blame that came with every single loss and being there for every single win. Like, I don't know. There's only there's only a handful of guys that can play with that kind of pressure at such a high level, a Hall of Fame level. He's only one of so many players to have 3,000 hits. First ballot Hall of Famer. Wasn't unanimous. Only one guy didn't vote for him. Like, people just love hating on this guy for no apparent reason. I honestly think it's just jealousy. Like, he dates. He dated all the most beautiful women in New York at the time. Has a beautiful wife right now. Totally successful, rich guy. Now he's a part owner of the Miami Marlins, bringing them from the ground up. They're clearly, you know, uh, turned things around. Like he's just winning at life, and I feel like people are mad about that uh, for no reason. So I find that funny that Carlos Correa came out and said that. Like I, I don't think. I honestly really do not think we're going to see him in pinstripes next year. And at this point, I don't want to. Like, dude's kind of annoying. Um, I feel like it would be a very weird relationship between him and the Yankee fans. We know how harsh Yankee fans can be. You know, booing Joey Gallo like a couple weeks into his tenure with the Yankees. Kind of rightfully so. He he struggled heavily. Um, but I don't know if I don't I don't think it would be a good situation, and it could get ugly quick if the Yankees brought in Carlos Correa. So I'm not necessarily a huge fan of that. Corey Seager would be a great signing right, uh, for the Yankees. Obviously, one of the premier shortstops in the game. Seems like if the Yankees are willing to open their pocketbooks, which Brian Cashman came out and said that um, he's kind of been giving more leeway from from Hal Steinbrenner this offseason. So it could be a bidding war between the Yankees and the Dodgers for Seager, which would, I mean, it would be exciting. Uh, be be a, a great great guy to bring in obviously for the Yankees but then it, it kind of there was a report also recently that the Yankees aren't willing to sign one of these big name free agents this offseason and they might just be bringing in like a stopgap shortstop um, as while they wait for their prospects their shortstop prospects to develop that was another report that came out pretty recently so I don't know that's like there's a lot of conflicting reports and another thing like if if we're gonna sign a stopgap shortstop for a couple years while we wait for these prospects to develop why don't we just keep dd gregorius re-sign him to like a two three year deal he's exactly the definition of a solid stopgap shortstop plays pretty solid defense and he hit like 20 home runs a year for the yankees great lefty bat another thing we desperately needed this year and eventually got at the trade deadline lefty bats and Rizzo and Gallo but why didn't we just keep Didi Gregorius like clearly Glaber Torres was not good at shortstop why didn't we just keep Didi Didi was a fan favorite he was by far my favorite t- player on the team throughout his tenure with the Yankees had some big moments that wild card game home run against the twins like if we're gonna sign a stopgap just should have kept Didi in my opinion but you know it is what it is um and then another report that came out on October 24th, this came out from Bob Clap, Clapishk. Don't know how to say his name, but it was a report that Brett Gardner and Garrett, po- Garrett Cole reportedly got into a heated argument early in the season after MLB uh, banned the spider tack and other foreign substances. So this was around like June. Apparently, um, Brett Gardner was like parading around the clubhouse with pine tar on his hat in an attempt to get a laugh out of Garrett Cole and maybe lighten up the situation, loosen up the situation. Garrett Cole took exception to this, getting into Gardner's face and kind of telling him to knock things off in in full view of like basically everyone on the team in the clubhouse. So like a really awkward situation and like Brett Gardner is really not the type of guy you want to show up, you know, the longest tenured Yankee uh, leader leader of the team alongside Aaron Judge like loosen up a little bit Cole like clearly if you're getting this mad if you were getting this mad in June then clearly you know the spider tax stuff and the foreign substances stuff was like a big part of your game and you're nervous that you might not be able to pitch as well without it and the numbers bear that out he got worse following the spider tack ban so clearly this was a, uh, a soft spot for him, and Gardner was exposing him for that. Probably Gardner didn't realize it was as big of a deal for Cole as it clearly was. Um, 
But this like tension kind of just describes the weird Yankee season, the up and down, inconsistent Yankee season that we saw this year. I think this like just proves that this team wasn't all on the same page. And um, I don't know, maybe there's some tension. In, I don't know if there's necessarily tension in the clubhouse, but it just it all it never felt like this team was clicking on all cylinders, except for that like 13 game winning streak we had in August, which was really a fluke. That was just overperforming for two three weeks so uh yeah this that was kind of a, a weird report that came out um Garrett Cole loosen up a little bit man I don't know like hopefully he learns to pitch this offseason without without spider tech and foreign substances and hopefully that hamstring gets better as well because that's another thing that Yankee fans were nervous about um and clearly you know bared out to be a problem in the wild card game as well um on the 25th of October so the next day um Obviously, Rizzo being a free agent, a family member came out and said that Anthony Rizzo is quite eager to return to the Yankees in 2022. And then on November 3rd, following the World Series, Rizzo, Andrew Heaney, Corey Kluber, Darren O'Day, Brett Gardner, Ryan Lamar, and Joely Rodriguez all officially became free agents. We all know now Andrew Heaney signed a one-year like $8.5 million deal with the Dodgers interesting signing for that for uh for the Dodgers nonetheless good riddance to Andrew Heaney I'm glad we'll never see him in pinstripes again and good luck to Dodger fans having to watch him pitch on a consistent basis um maybe he'll maybe he'll be better in the National League and maybe they will develop him better than the Yankees did I guess that's all I really have to say about that one um the next day on the 4th of November Brett Gardner officially declined his player option and the Yankees declined his club option so he is he officially became a free agent. Darren O'Day that day also declined his player option, and the Yankees declined his club option. So he also became an official free agent. We probably won't see Darren O'Day back with the Yankees, and it's unlikely that Brett Gardner will also come back for the Yankees. Now, um, still a lot of time left in the offseason. The Yankees have every opportunity to every opportunity to bring him back if they do so choose. But right now, nothing has happened with Gardner and you know obviously in the past when negotiating with Gardner those deals have tend to happen later in the offseason anyway so I think it's still uh, kind of a wait and see deal with Brett Gardner would I want to see him back maybe um, depends on what the Yankees do with other um, outfield options this this offseason on the 5th of November so again the next day uh, Andrew Velasquez was claimed off waivers by the Angels Tim LaCastro was claimed off waivers from the Red Sox. And then Greg Allen was also claimed off waivers by the Pirates. The Yankees uh, outrighted Rob Brantley off the MLB roster to AAA Scranton. So this is the first move of a theme, uh, a series of moves that the Yankees have made to clear up space on the 40-man roster to uh, ultimately, hopefully, make some moves this offseason. Tough to see Velasquez go. Obviously, you know, being... From the Bronx, it was a lot of fun to watch him play for the Yankees this year. Um, a, a local guy really loved the obviously loved the Yankees growing up, and can, you could tell he was just you know loving every day um, to play every day playing for the Yankees. His family was there every home game. He actually started the wild card game at shortstop uh, as Boone or the front office decided to go with a more defensive. Um, line up that game but Velasquez you know came in he he played a role uh at shortstop toward the end of the season so it was a lot of fun to watch him play he was a, a gritty player now obviously he's not going to be the Yankees starting shortstop moving forward he was never going to be that so not a super surprising move I hope he gets some playing time in Los Angeles with the Angels Tim LaCastro played like three games for the Yankees and then tore his ACL so can't I don't have much to say about that uh, Red Sox maybe could be a good pickup. He's really, really fast. So, um, yeah, uh, Greg Allen basically spent most of the season in the minor leagues, played a little bit up with the bigs, uh, with the big league team when there was a lot of injuries and COVID stuff in like July time. Uh, yeah, to the Pirates. So good luck to him. And then Rob Brantley, don't have much to say, third string catcher, uh, minor league player, basically. On the 7th of November, the Yankees declined Joely Rodriguez's club option, officially making him a free agent. 
But three days later on the 10th, the Yankees announced they signed him to a one-year MLB contract worth $2 million. The club option that the Yankees declined three days earlier was worth $3 million. So basically the Yankees saved a million dollars by declining that club option and then signing him to a two-year, uh, a one-year $2 million deal. Rodriguez was good for the Yankees when he came over from that trade deadline deal, the Joey Gallo deal with Texas. Uh, he had a 2.84 ERA in 19 innings, and he struck out eight batters per nine innings with a 50% ground ball rate. So he was basically a really good lefty specialist for the Yankees coming out of the bullpen. It'll nice. It'll be nice to have him again uh, for a full year uh, with the Yankees. Hopefully he can continue um, his, his success and uh, just be a solid bullpen arm, a, a reliable. Like I always felt confident when Rodriguez was coming in, so... You know, obviously it's mainly to face lefties, but I think that was a good move for the Yankees. $2 million is not much. If he ends up being horrible, they can just DFA him. Uh, but I, I think he's going to be solid again for the Yankees next year. And I think that was actually a pretty solid move for the Yankees to resign him for another year. Couple um, quiet days for the Yankees following that signing. But then on the 9th of November, the Yankees were re- it came out, it was tweeted out by one of the uh, baseball reporters for the MLB that uh, the Yankees are interested, are one of the teams interested in trading for the Athletics' first baseman, Matt Olson. Obviously, I think the the Athletics came out and said they're basically clearing house this offseason, starting fresh. For I, I honestly don't know why, but it is it is the A's. They don't, they're don't they dealing with a significantly lesser payroll, so um, they're... Stuff like this happens for teams like that. And they're going to, reportedly, the Yankees are one of the teams interested in trading for Matt Olson. Lefty bat, first baseman. Um, could be a good move. I really don't have much to say about this, but I think it's safe to say that we're not going to see Luke Voigt in pinstripes next year. Um, you know, with whether or not we re sign Anthony Rizzo, who, like I said, wants to come back, or we trade for a guy like Matt Olson. It's clear the Yankees are trying to address the issue at first base. And they seem to want a lefty bat. Luke Voigt's not that. So, yeah, I, th- I think we could be saying goodbye to Luke Voigt, which is a move that I am perfectly fine with. Absolutely perfectly fine with that move. And then on the 11th, another report, this one from John Heyman. John Heyman. Uh, the Yankees are reportedly open to require- acquiring a catcher to replace Gary Sanchez this offseason. The catching free agent market is a lot thinner than last year when they wanted to stay under the luxury tax. They didn't like the Brian McCann or Brian McCann or uh, James McCann price tag, the the catcher for the White Sox now. Um, But nonetheless, it it really seems like the Yankees aren't messing around this offseason. Hopefully, they seem to be steadfast and like determined to address the the issues with this roster. And I think there's no denying that Luke Voigt and Gary Sanchez – are two of the main issues. They're also making shortstop a huge priority, the number one priority, which again, major issue with the team. If you look at baseball, your catcher, your shortstop, and your center fielder, like the spine of your team, are always are by far always the three most important positions. If you look at the Yankees last year, they had Gary Sanchez at catcher, um, Glaber Torres at shortstop, and for most of the year, Brett Gardner. And in center field, that's simply not good enough to win a World Series. If you look at the Braves, who just won the World Series, Travis Darno, who won a Silver Slugger, I believe, in 2020, great defensive catcher, can also hit for you every once in a while. Dansby Swanson at short. I mean, pretty solid, pretty solid uh, shortstop there. Great defense, like a lockdown defensive shortstop. Um, and then in center field, I believe, was. Who were they running in? Was it uh, it was um, Jorge Soler in shorts in center, right? I'm looking this up. One sec. Astros Braves game six lineups. I'm sorry, this is taking so long. Center field, no. What am I talking about? Adam Duvall, solid. So who 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 are the Astros running? Obviously. Catcher was Martin Maldonado, who was a total zero uh, at the plate. Basically another uh, pitcher guaranteed out. Shortstop Correa and then center field was... What's that guy's name? It wasn't Kyle Tucker. It was... uh, It was not Kyle Tucker. 
Braves Astros game six box score. I don't know. I, I can't remember this off the top of my head. Who was it? Center field. Kyle Tucker, right field and center field. What? Okay. Well, anyway, they the and then, like for their run when the Astros won the World Series in 2017, it was Correa at short, Springer in center, and Maldonado, I believe, at catcher. Like those three positions, I, I got sidetracked there, but those three positions are like the most important positions. And the Yankees, for the Yankees, those were basically our three weakest players in the lineup especially defensively. So addressing those three issues, I think is huge for the Yankees this offseason. I'm glad that the front office has like taken note of that and realized how much of an issue it is for them. Um, so that, that's positive. It's positive to see reports coming out that the Yankees are willing to address their roster issues. Then on the 16th of November, uh, it was announced that former Mets manager who just got fired by the Mets, uh, Luis Rojas was named as Yankees third base and outfield coach replacing Phil Nevin. Don't have a, a ton of opinions on that, but anytime you can bring in a former you know manager of a big league club to be one of your assistant coaches, I think that's good. There was a report that came out that the Yankees didn't necessarily like the, um, the, the coaches surrounding Aaron Boone and maybe addressing the assistant coaches could have a, a, a different uh, effect on the roster on the team this coming season. I don't know how much of an impact like assistant coaches have in baseball. I know for a fact assistant coaches have made a huge difference in Michigan football's uh, season this year. This, this past offseason for Michigan, they basically got rid of almost all their assistant staff and extended Harbaugh for like three more years, but basically lowered his buyout significantly. So if he had another bad year, they could get rid of him easier. But still, they brought in a lot more uh, younger, younger and fresh, exciting assistant coaches. And the team has seemed to rally around that uh, a lot. I, I mentioned this on one of the podcasts we did with Joe back in August, how the assistant coaches, the new assistant coaching staff could play a big role in Michigan's success this season. Sure enough, that has bared out to be the truth. Um, so maybe for the Yankees, like making, a, a, uh, making changes to the assistant coaching staff will have an effect. I honestly have no idea, um, how, what, what assistant coaches, like how big of a role they play. I know we got rid of our hitting coach, Marcus Thames, probably a good move there. He just signed with some other team as well, but that was a good move. Um, so I, I have no issue with this. Bringing in a former manager of a, another New York team is a dub in my opinion. Then the next day, the Yankees were kind of announced that they were in the Justin Verlander sweepstakes, if you want to call him that. Um, he ended up signing a one-year deal with the Astros for $25 million with a club option for 2023. The Yankees reportedly offered him a one-year deal worth the same amount, $25 million, but they didn't give him a club option for 2023. A lot of people were like mad about this, that we didn't bring in Justin Verlander, but I was honestly, and we were texting in my Yankees group chat, I was like pretty happy that we didn't bring in Justin Verlander. He's like 38, 40 years old, just coming off Tommy John surgery, following the spider attack ban. We haven't even seen him pitch following the, the uh, foreign substances ban. We don't know, like all of his success in Houston could have been from just using spider attack. We've seen so many older pitchers uh, in Justin Verlander, Charlie Morton. Um, those are the first two that come to mind. Go to Houston. Like where they were struggling in their former, you know, places, Verlander in Detroit looked like his career was over. Go to Houston, all of a sudden their career is revitalized. So I have no issue with the Yankees not signing Justin Verlander. That just felt like another Corey Kluber or Jamison Tyone type deal. I'm I'm glad we didn't make it. This team needs to get younger, not older, in my opinion. So no complaints with the Yankees not signing Justin Verlander. People were like genuinely pissed off and like going at the Yankees front office for not making this move. I have no issue uh, whatsoever with that. And then a few days ago on the 19th, the Yankees designated for assignment Clint Frazier, Tyler Wade, and Runin Odor. Another move to clear up space on the 40-man roster. And then in their place, prospects infielder Oswaldo Cabrera, right-handed pitcher Oran Marinacio, and outfielder Everson Pereira. Then also right-handed pitcher Steven Riddings and left-handed pitcher J.P. Sears were selected to the Major League roster. 
No idea. The only person we've seen play for the Yankees is Steven Riddings, and he was actually pretty damn good out of the bullpen this year, like thrown in the hundreds, just struggled with his accuracy. But that was clearly just a move to clear up roster space. Frazier never worked out. Um, he had like the whole situation that went on this year with like his vertigo, or he still hasn't really figured that out. Tyler Wade, well, I'll talk on him, talk on him a little bit uh, later here. The, the Yankees made a move with him today. Then Renan Odor, like there just wasn't a place for Renan Odor, especially if Glaber's moving over to second full time. Probably going to be looking at another year of Gio Urshela at third base, and then or. Yeah, and then DJ LeMahieu at first, his only role that he was going to play was a backup infielder. So I don't really have a ton of issue with the Yankees getting rid of him, really. He was solid for the Yankees this year, but eh, not a a difference maker, in my opinion. And then also the Yankees traded right-handed pitcher Nick Nelson. God, he sucked. Good riddance. And catcher Donnie Sands to the Phillies for prospects two prospects that I've never heard of another move to clear up 40 man roster space. Cause those two prospects we got in return don't have to be named to the 40 man roster. So basically the Yankees are clearing up a lot of roster space in hope in hopes of making some moves here in the coming weeks on the 19th, Brian Cashman came out and said that quote, we've played on pitching in the trade and free agent market but our focus is still trying to address the shortstop area more than anything else. He also went on to say that Brett Gardner plans to play next year in 2022, but the Yankees have not yet had any discussions with him. And then, like I said, he uh, mentioned that Gardner's contracts are typically negotiated later in the offseason anyways. So I think the Yankees have made it pretty freaking clear that they're trying to address the issue at shortstop We've never really been able to find a consistent shortstop since Derek Jeter left. Now, I would argue that D.D. Gregorius was filled those shoes as good as you can, being the first shortstop uh, to play since Derek Jeter. I think D.D. did an outstanding job with the Yankees, but they said they decided to move away from him, and you know the, that that move is something that can't go back and change. So. They've made shortstop a priority this offseason, and it'll be interesting to see what we do. You know, are we going to get Correa? Are we going to get Seager? My gut says no. My gut says we're going to sign some some random shortstop, maybe make a trade, uh, but it's not going to be one of these big, big names, in my opinion. I, I, I just don't think we're going to do it. I don't know. The Yankees are talking a big game right now, saying we're going to make the, all these big moves. We're going to adjust, adjust the roster. I'm at the point where I'll believe it when I see it. Now, I know that sounds like ludicrous coming from a Yankee fan. We just signed Garrett Cole for an exorbitant amount of money. But I'm just going with what my gut says. We still got to re-sign Aaron Judge to a big contract. We still maybe are going to sign Glaber Torres to a pretty big contract if if he has a good year next year uh, at second base, which, you know, his numbers bear that out. He played a lot better. Uh, at second base we got a lot of money on the books right now I, I just don't know and I know it's the New York Yankees there's no salary cap but Hal Steinbrenner has been a little bit more reluctant than his father George to open up the pocketbook so you know and I am not the only person that is you know is thinking this way like a lot of people that I talk to that are Yankee fans or my Yankee group chat that I text all the time we're still very very cautious with you know, saying we're going to sign this guy. Like, we're not optimistic in any way, I guess you could say. Uh, we're in the mode of, I'll believe it when we see it. And, you know, the Yankees have gotten burned by a lot of these massive contracts. Jacoby Ellsbury is the first one that comes to mind. And I, I understand the reluctance to make, ma- like, to, to pay for massive, like, 10-year-plus, 100, 200, 5, whatever, $300 million contracts. Um, I can understand the reluctance to make these moves because they often don't work out. So... Like at the end of the contract, it gets ugly. Look at Albert Pujols right now. I think that contract finally ran out this year, but he was never the same in Los Angeles. He was just a different player in St. Louis than he was in Los Angeles. So I understand the reluctance to make these these moves, but we still need to sign in a freaking shortstop or get a, a solid shortstop. But they're making that a priority nonetheless. And then today, the last you know news Yankee news I have is the Yankees traded infielder Tyler Wade to the Astros or to the Astros, to the Angels for cash considerations or a player to be named later another move to clear up space on that 40-man roster 
Tyler Wade was one of my favorite Yankees over the past few years. I thought he was a, not a not a good bat. In no way was he a good bat, but he played really good defense and he could run the bases. Um, something that the Yankees just didn't have. I've spoken on this so many times uh, throughout the course of the year, but I just really like Tyler Wade. It's it's tough to see him go. I understand the move because there was never really a spot for him, um, especially if Glaber is the full time short or the full time second baseman. Tyler Tyler Wade's not going to be your everyday shortstop. He's just not going to be. He's not good enough to do that. Um, he is defensively, in my opinion, but he's not. Uh, you know, he's not there at the plate. So understand this move. Uh, freeing up more space. Yankees are opening up a lot of space on this 40-man roster. Now, the main, you know, the main thing, the the big story in the MLB right now, in my opinion, is you know this looming lockout. So the the MLB and the MLBPA, their current collective bargaining agreement expires on December 1st. So in a couple weeks here, it's getting really close. Um, and we could be looking at a, a, an MLB lockout. And, um, you know, uh, Rob, Rob Manfred came out and said that this December 1st expiration of the collective bargaining agreement is not a hard deadline for agreeing to a new CBA. Um, so basically, Rob Manfred is saying that we're not we're not trying to like there's basically we're probably not going to get a deal by December 1st. I think everyone can, you know, based on what happened last summer. Um, with the the COVID season and the MLBPA and the MLB took them forever to come to an agreement. Didn't start the season until like July 23rd. So, you know, the 60-game season that happened was all due to the fact that these two sides could not, it took them months to agree to terms for the season. And, you know, what, what from that experience gives me confidence that the MLB and the MLBPA can come to a quick agreement? Uh, nothing at all. So I fully expect a lockout come December 1st. And so the league is not required to initiate a lockout after the CBA expires, but they may choose to do so. So, you know, even if they don't come to agreement by December 1st, there might not be a lockout, but the MLB could institute one. And a lockout would put on hold all MLB transactions. So that's kind of why we've seen guys sign earlier this year. Uh, There was a report out that, we could see both Seager and Correa sign before December 1st. Now, neither of those guys have signed yet, and it's uh, November 22nd right now. So, I don't know, but it seems like they're meeting uh, with a lot of different teams right now and trying to get that done before December 1st because there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding that date. Guys like Justin Verlander and Noah Syndergaard signed. I already talked about Verlander, but Syndergaard got a one-year, $21 million deal with the Los Angeles Angels. Now leave it to the Angels to make that kind of a deal. A guy that hasn't pitched in like two years, um, but it's only one year, so he could be a really good addition to the Angels' rotation, or it could be a total bust and he could get injured again. It's just a lot of uncertainty. The Angels seem to be the team that uh, is willing to make these risky moves, um, as we've seen in the past. Also, the Mets signed. The Mets got the former Angels general manager. They hired him as their the Mets hired him as their general manager. So I just thought that was kind of a funny move for the Mets. Um, the Angels don't have a history of success whatsoever. Um, they've have a they have really a history of making some questionable uh, signings. So feel bad for Mets fans. Honestly, I, I do feel bad for Mets fans. Um, but anyway, with. Uh, about this lockout if the two sides the mlbpa and the mlb cannot agree cannot reach an agreement before the season is set to start in march the mlb could face another shortened season or even a canceled season now i don't think this is going to happen unless the i think unless the mlbpa plays like a really really hardball type of like negotiation if they are very steadfast and they're not willing to negotiate or you know bend their terms even a little bit with the mlb that could be the case uh we saw how ugly it got in 2020 but i don't think we're going to see this just because of how much of a loss 2020 was for the mlb the league lost around three million dollars in operational losses that year uh, due to the short season played in empty stadiums mostly empty stadiums there were some fans in the playoffs i believe i just i don't think i think there's going to be a strong strong um like reluctance from both sides to repeat this like they're going to want to get to an agreement now i don't know if it's going to be before december 1st i i think it's becoming more and more likely that it's not going to be before december 1st but 
we could see a bit of a lockout throughout the offseason, which is going to be interesting for free agency because we have like 10 free agents, 10 plus free agents that are going to sign $100 million plus contracts. You look at guys like Carlos Correa, guaranteed over 100 mil. Uh, Corey Seager, guaranteed over 100 mil. Freddie Freeman, guaranteed over 100 mil. Chris Bryant, guaranteed. Uh, Kevin Gosman, great reliever. I think he's going to get over a $100 million deal. Marcus Simeon, he's earned that contract. Robbie Ray, just won a Cy Young almost unanimously. I, I don't think he deserved to win almost unanimously. I think he deserved absolutely to win the Cy Young over Garrett Cole. But he's going to get over $100 million. Uh, Trevor Story will. Mark, Max Scherzer will. Uh, and Castellanos will. I think Marcus Stroman might. Javier Baez be like right around a hundred million dollars he hasn't done himself uh very good over the past couple years to earn himself a big contract i think a guy like starling Marte, who finished off the season in oakland extremely hot uh, he was probably the best trade deadline acquisition this season actually i think he might sneaky get over a hundred million dollars just kind of depends on for how long the contract is if it's like a five six year deal um it will, but he is 33 years old, so he might get a shorter deal for under $100 million. Not so sure. Um, and then you look at other guys. Eduardo Rodriguez got a big contract from Detroit, you know, considering he wasn't like amazing this year for him. He signed a five a five year deal for $77 million with an opt out after the second year. So interesting deal there for the Tigers. But the Tigers are, you know, they seem to be. They've come out and said that they're going to be buyers this year in the free agent market. Uh, heavily rumored with Carlos Correa. Uh, maybe reuniting the manager AJ Hinch and Carlos Correa there in Detroit. I don't know um, if that's going to happen, but they've they've been pictured uh, meeting. So, but yeah, those are kind of the guys that are going to get a hundred mil. I don't think Kyle Schwarber will. I don't. Chris Taylor won't get a hundred mil. But the the point is, there's a lot of guys that are going to make a lot of money this off season, and for the first time in a while, we might see some guys um, signing earlier. Because, you know, over the past couple of years, I remember the year with like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, when they were both free agents, they didn't sign until like mid-February, if I'm not mistaken. Like th- over the past few years, we've seen more of these negotiations drag on throughout the offseason. Like almost nobody had signed uh, in the winter meetings when traditionally most of the signings happened. So, you know, we might see a bit of a change of fortunes this offseason where guys sign earlier just because of this impending lockout rather than later. So it'll be interesting to follow that story because I really don't think Rob Manfred is a commissioner that instills a lot of confidence at the negotiating table based on what we've seen over the past few years. Um, And the MLBPA seems really willing to play hardball uh, with him and the MLB. So it, it could very well get ugly over the next few weeks. Um, these two sides seem to be very separated and, um, yeah, just, it's, it, it could, it could get ugly. So I'll be following that closely. Um, but that is kind of the last thing I really wanted to, to talk about today. I, I appreciate you all for listening to this podcast. I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving week, uh, Thanksgiving day on Thursday. I have the great opportunity of being able to go watch Tim Boyle versus probably Andy Dalton on Thursday uh the 3 and 7 Bears taking on the 09 and 1 Detroit Lions the classic Lions Thanksgiving Day game uh versus the this year abysmal Bears the the Lions have a very good chance of winning their only game of the season on Thursday so I'll be there in the flesh to watch it all go down Obviously, that is the biggest game, football game in the state of Michigan this week. No, just kidding. Um, Obviously, we have Ohio State versus Michigan on Saturday. Ohio State is only favored by 7.5. I don't know about you guys, but I would be willing to put a lot of money on Ohio State in that game just based on previous years. Ohio State's only won, like, there was a stat, like Ryan Day while at Ohio State has only won by less than six or sorry while ryan day has been at ohio state in big 10 games he's only won once by less than seven points and that was against indiana uh last year so in big 10 games ohio state blows teams out we just saw how impressive they were against michigan state last weekend so i I just i'd be very stunned if michigan pulls it out nonetheless 
Michigan has had an incredibly successful season, especially considering heading into the year, everyone, no one, like Michigan was unranked heading into the season. Most predictions had us going like seven and five if everything went well. This team is 10 and one, really easily could be 11 and 0 with that Michigan State game. But this team is 10 and one with the chance to play in the Rose Bowl. Like, I don't, like, I know everyone says, well, you, you got to be at Ohio State, you got to be at Ohio State. I know, but no one beats Ohio State nowadays. Like, they're a powerhouse up there with Alabama, Clemson, not as much this year, uh, Georgia. Like, they are the class of the Big Ten by far. Like, it's very, very hard to beat this Ohio State team. I know Harbaugh, it's frustrating, but you, you can't fault him. This season has been an unprecedented success for Michigan. I, I'm not mad whatsoever. Whatever happens on Saturday, it's a successful season. And Michigan could go to the freaking Rose Bowl. So heading into this season, we would have been happy with the Valero Alamo Bowl. So happy with Michigan's football season regardless. Um, and we'll see what happens on Saturday. But it Either way, Thanksgiving week is like one of the best weeks of the year for sports. You got all the Thanksgiving Day or Thanksgiving week college basketball tournaments. Uh, Butler gets to get absolutely destroyed by Houston today. Can't wait for that one. Um, and then you got like Thanksgiving Day football games. Um, all the, the last week of the college football regular season. So rivalry week, uh, Ole Miss versus Mississippi State, Michigan, Ohio State, Auburn, Alabama. Although I don't think that one will be that good this year. And another, you know, playoff college football playoff positioning heading into conference championship week next week so and then obviously your nba and your nhl games as well great great week for sports um the yankees offseason will continue for the next few months it's going to be a while before we get baseball which always sucks but we will i will keep you all updated and informed through this podcast if anything big happens i will come on here and talk about it Maybe next time, you know, we'll talk about the Yankees signing Corey Seager or whatever, some big trade. I don't know. It, 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 it seems like the Yankees are going to be very active this offseason. I hope they are. I hope they address the issues with the roster. Um, but that is all I have to say or all I have to talk about this, this episode. So I appreciate you all for listening and have a very happy Thanksgiving. Peace out. Peace out.